Thanks for taking the time to listen to our 3D OrthoPro podcast. If you'd like to get any more information on Piro, 8Soul or Raptor, please visit our website at www.3dorthopro.com or drop us an email at info at 3dorthopro.com. Hey everybody and thank you for tuning back into the 3D OrthoPro podcast. I am delighted to say that we have Brent Wright with us today and I think most people in the digital O&P world will know Brent because he is uh, very active uh, on social media with sharing all his ideas and and, and what he's up to um, and I've been I've been I've been hassling Brent for a while to try and uh, tie him down to this he's a busy man he's actually in a car between baseball games at the moment uh, which uh so he squeezed me into his day off and um and I've got so many things to ask him um and I would and your your current role at the moment is I mean you kind of cover O&P and every single element from start to finish in uh in both digital and traditional kind of manufacturing would that be fair yeah so <clears throat> a lot of people I, I wear a few different hats. Um, I was employee number three for East Point Prosthetics and Orthotics. And I tell you, we never thought we would grow that much. We thought we would be just hyper-focused on customer service and just do our thing. So it was Paul Sugg, myself, and then an office administrator. And as, as we started doing that, we saw that there was more and more demand for our services. And now we're probably almost about 40 people strong. Wow, and so my, my role is in day-to-day clinician has uh, been reduced. So I have more of a support clinician role. And I see a few patients that I've seen forever, mm-hmm. right? Um, but then I, I have started to really focus on not only business development for East Point, but then how do we push the envelope and really make a difference in this 3D printing space, uh, not only in workflows, but tooling, um, tooling like digital tooling, um, and different styles of braces to, to create braces that have never been created before. And I think that's what's so exciting about 3D printing is it's, it's not just changing the way that we do production, like we're just not making an articulated AFO. Yeah. Because we can 3D print it, we're, we're actually 3D printing because we're doing something that we can't do in the traditional sense. And so that's that in a been in and out of uh, a, a couple businesses, some consulting stuff, that sort of thing. And uh, right now it's just a, a real focus on how do we get adoption of this technology and how do we really you know, I, I don't want to be seen as somebody's competitor. Uh, we, we are colleagues and uh, we want to make each other better. And that's yeah. the attitude that I have now. I know that there are different uh, companies out there that may think differently, but I'm going to yeah. cheer you on. If you're doing yeah. digital stuff, I'm going to cheer you on and yeah. um, because it's going to be better for our field. And there's quite a large number of us on the kind of LinkedIn community, which seems to be like, the, the sharing of kind of case studies and, and new ideas and things that have 
that, that have been tried is, is really good, like because you can kind of gain confidence from that, get new ideas, get inspiration. And I think that's 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 really a really good thing. And I you know, very similar to that. I like to do my best for my patients, give them all the options, let them kind of and guide them in decisions, but like also share it then with uh, everybody else to say like this was good or this was bad. Uh, so would you say like in, in your business that uh, at East Point that people are coming to you because you do digital or they're just or you're just offer, opening up more options to them as you as you kind of say like this is what we could we could try. Yeah, so we've been delivering definitive multi-jet fusion devices since 2018. And so um, it's just become a part of what we do. Mm -hmm. And so we, we actually don't really think twice about that. Now, there are some patients that um, will come to us because of the, what they've heard about the 3D printing side of things. And then um, our relationship with some of the doctors and such, um, now that they know that we're doing some 3D printing stuff specifically for pediatric patients, yeah. Uh, and they see the difference that it makes, um, like weight and some of these complex devices that, man, we're losing technicians in this field left and right. And, and we're not able to replace those people that have traditionally fabbed for years, specifically in the metal mm -hmm. area where metal bending, I mean, it's an art in itself, some of yeah. the vacuum forming and some of these complex devices. People, uh, you know, if you can find somebody to do it, you're talking about a two month lead time uh, before you get something back. And that's just, that's just too much. Yeah. And so that's, it's, 3D printing has really opened up the world to pediatric uh, complex uh, devices as well as, you know, regular devices, but. Yeah, the benefit over the, over the benefit, like you say, even at a regular device, you're still getting a lot of benefits. Changing a regular polyprop device to a to a three D printed device in terms of weight and thickness and you know acceptance as well I think is a big one like the stigma with a plastic one as opposed to a three D printed one where you can mix up the designs and the and the and the styling of it. You know it's it's interesting um, and it might be a little bit different here in the U S. Um, Cascade Daffo has such a stronghold with therapists here in the US um, and it look, uh, a 3D printed device looks so much different than that. And while it may perform better, the therapists are still gonna ask for the Cascade Daffos. Yeah, um, that, and that's some just, of that that's in the UK. There's some of that in the UK. Yeah, so that's just a road that you've, we've got to you know, embark on. And it's not a knock against Cascade Daffo. I mean, they have amazing customer service an amazing looking product. And, you know, for the most part, very, you, you know, when you order one of their devices, it's going to be very consistent. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then when I want, I know alcohol is a thing, so I'm going to keep it, keep it rolling. Um, and kind of moving into the, the, the considerations that you have and in the creative process of design engineering, like when you, when you go, when you assess that, patient and you're thinking right we're going to scan we're going to 3d print like how do you decide like what design to, to go with and what printing process to go with and you know or you give me a give me a case study or just a kind of your thought process through that yeah um so for instance uh i've got a patient right now that i'm working with with another clinician um 
they wear a TLSO. Essentially, it's a young kiddo, three years old. They want to get them up and standing, but they want to have something that's very lightweight that the patient parents can put on and, and things like that. So you think of like RGOs or like some sort of standing frame where you've got straps all over the place and all that. Mm -hmm. And that's not really the direction that we wanted to go. We wanted to do something lightweight that could be slipped on quickly over a TLSO and, 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 and make it. So we've, I, I haven't actually fit it yet, but we're, think, we're did you, doing uh, that. You post a picture of the, yeah, I posted uh, it on LinkedIn yeah. of the design. It hasn't come in yet, but and it's, a, it, this one is for fitting because it's a super complex alignment uh, leg length discrepancies. You've got kind of a windswept deal. So you've got a lot of asymmetry, but the beauty of 3d printing is that, um, I created some places that are articulated, um, little pylons that can be cut down so we can, we can get that going and, um, and get the lengths, right. Rotation, right. Hip flexion, extension, whatever it may be. And then these pylons, can actually be heated and bent so we can get the alignment if it needs to be changed from where where we're needed. So it's it's allowed us to yeah, I think I've got it here. I know I can probably yeah. I, no one no one yeah, yeah. to see this but the, the because it's a podcast. But yeah there are you've got it um posted about five days ago on your on your LinkedIn. And it looks yeah, yeah it was in, interesting to hear you describe it as well with the adjustable uh heights on the side. And and it and in terms of creation of say the the adjustments on the side of obviously just you've you've kind of come up with that concept and then designed it and then yeah. uh, and I think that's probably I mean to me it's second nature like I live in between multiple CAD programs so like oh if I need some sort of dimension stuff I go draw it make it and then drop it back in and um, do you do you do yeah, a I test think, process on or how do you kind of yeah, but, I mean, I think probably from your experience, you'd probably be able to pretty quickly identify what's going to work and what's not. But do you do you test it out and or do you? Yeah. Do you... So I mean, I I kind of have some rules of thumb for like wall thicknesses, um, you know, stiffness of like these quote unquote pylons that I do. Yeah. Um, we we print a lot of different samples just to get your hands on them to feel yeah. uh, what it's like and. So, I mean, I don't want to say that I'm winging it, but I, I guess in some ways I am. Well, you've got to, you've got to check, you've got to try something to see. Uh... Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, this, this device, I've never seen anything like it ever, no, you know, no, me, so me there's nothing. So that's where I think it's very interesting to, to develop stuff. And then we're going to, we're going to learn a lot from that as well. Yeah. This one. Um, so yeah, with the, with these types of devices, it's just, uh, and they're, they're one-off devices, right? But yeah. we're kind of learning, learning as we go and we're doing some best practices and, and, you know, we partner with some just amazing engineers that get, give great feedback, uh, have really good relationships with different vendors yeah. and they, they are, they love how we're pushing the boundaries and they're, they're really love yeah, what we do and yeah, so it's I great think to that, have I think that, that support. As well. we, we love like I love seeing new things and trying new things and the excitement of getting a, a product in your hands to go and fit it to a, to a patient is just it's it's great and it's just trying to like give give other clinicians the confidence to to, to do that and I think um, 
like that 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 the creativity that you can have then to go away and design or think of that idea um probably jumps me quicker into the next question than I was going to but like the the limitations that we had previously in traditional methods do do you think there are limits to what we can do with 3D print or do you think it's just going to keep evolving and it's going to be our minds and our ideas our creativity that slows us down well I mean the insurance conversation ultimately comes sure. comes yeah. into play right so for for us we get paid the same whether we 3D print a device or we traditionally fabricate it mm. so right now you know it kind of comes down to what what are the the costs associated and that's why it makes for us it makes a lot more sense to um, 3d print these these custom more complex devices especially for peds the kfos hkfos um even dynamic bracing with like the carbon fiber struts or some sort yeah. of composite struts that is a uh is a very difficult those are difficult braces to manufacture but they're not too bad to 3d print and the margins are just so much greater on these complex devices compared to like an articulated afo yeah. or even an smo um while i love some of the 3d printing ideas and i do it myself with uh, smos and somewhat afos but uh, ultimately for us and our practice, it comes down to the price and are we going to get that much greater function out of a device uh, or is it more of a lateral move? So like I would argue that a, while I love the 3D printed devices, um, like an articulate AFO with say a pivot joint and a, you know, a plantar flexion stop or what have you, the cost savings to me um to traditionally fabricate it compared to uh, a 3d printed one and turnaround time and that sort of thing is going to be uh greater if i stay in the traditional um, path because the function isn't that much greater of a function there's a yeah. cool factor and all that but the function isn't there so um you know, but as pricing comes down, as volume increases, and that's one of the things, our volume has definitely increased. We've gotten better and better pricing. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and we're also looking at how do we help people in, in this, like that want to do powder-based fusion and things like that. How do we get them the same pricing that we get? Because we yeah. get extremely good pricing. And so that's, that's some of the kind of fun stuff that we're trying to do uh, behind the scenes is creating this ecosystem of people that we trust to fabricate these devices with multi-jet fusion, um, good tolerances. Um, and, you know, this is kind of a plug for, you know, contract manufacturers is orthotic and prosthetic devices are actually very difficult to print. You know, they're thin wall, they're typically larger, heat's an issue, uh, orientation is an issue, and, how do you address all of that? And yeah, so and we and work I think with simplifying that for maybe people that didn't understand the 3D printing in terms of the size of the box that we have to print in. And then the that that you know, the more space you take up with one orthosis, the more expensive it is. And then the you mean when you say orientation, do you mean like if you put it in a certain way, it won't it won't be as strong as if you put it like say 
uh, horizontal as opposed to perpendicular, then it, uh, it it can change the characteristics and the material quite a lot, and it's quite specific. Yeah. I mean, as much as we'd love to say that it's isotropic, which means that it you know it, it operates the same in all directions, uh, we we know uh, subjectively and objectively that that's not the case. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and so orientation not only matters for strength, but then it also matters for visual um, how it looks, how it yeah. actually comes out. And and I think that's the other part that's very dangerous for contract manufacturers. Like if they're trying to get into that, their idea is they want to pack as much stuff into that little box as possible, and they may give up some of that orientation to make a few more dollars to pack a few more things in. And that's the wrong thing to do. And that's the same types of things that you want to watch out for as you're communicating with people that that do this um, as a contract manufacturer because they don't understand. Um, and, and most of their stuff, and not that our stuff is life or death, but man, if something fails, yeah, we don't get paid for our time. So if something fails and it was a, you know, a defect of the 3D printing process or a design defect or whatever, it's like we're having to do that whole process again, pay not only for our clinician time, gas for traveling, all yeah. that stuff. Um, and, and, it, and then it becomes a, a loss uh, uh, for us. Yeah, been, been there. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so that's, that's, the, that's where you kind of just pick and choose your battles, right? It's just yeah. f- figuring out what, what works for our practice. Now, do we want to pretty much 3D print all our stuff? 100%. Is it going to happen anytime soon? No. <laughs> and, it's funny, can't. It can't. and it's funny. It's funny because I'm mainly private practice these days after being in the NHS for, for like 10 years. And then my considerations like outside of that are now like, do I print this or do I um, make it in carbon fiber or, or a hybrid? Um, because I, I can also give the, the, the client the the choice you want it in polyprop because it will be the cheapest or do you want to 3d print it or do you want it in carbon and then go through the pros and cons but similar to what you described earlier when we're back in the nhs the prices that they pay for polyprop is is so cheap that it just makes 3d printing quite a quite a gap between the two and like you say uh, we need to kind of see more more volume in it certainly in the uk so that we can get the prices down and it uh and it and it can be, um, you know, much more accessible for, for everybody. Because the, the, the things like that are a benefit, but not benefit of enough to outweigh the cost for us are like the time that like you said, time from printing to, to, to supply. Also the time like you can save in clinic by like being able to scan someone um, and email the, email the order off um, as opposed to casting somebody and then like sending that cast and the manufacturing, which is usually not on site. Uh, in a lot of the, the places um, in, in the NHS, some are, but some aren't. So I, yeah, it's it's interesting that we're probably, although we have different systems, we're probably not, we're probably doing the, having the same kind of mindset or battles to to try and grow grow the idea of three D printing and kind of get people confident to to start trying it. And I, you mentioned about um, like there's not a huge amount of functional benefits from uh, like the traditional C3D printing method. I I have nothing objective data-wise to prove it, but there always seems to be like, 
I don't know, parents of kids, certainly, you put into a 3D printed AFO, they always think, oh, they seem to, they, they always feel like there's a much bigger positive than you can, you can kind of justify sometimes, apart from obviously the weight and the thickness and hopefully making footwear a bit easier to get on. Um, but do you think if you, if we were able to, if there was some kind of functional analysis of like both types that, that or do you think you, the fact you can control a few more of the elements of, of the 3D printed device that even the flexibility in the foot play I know you can do that by grinding it down on plastic but those kind of things I mean I, <laughs> like when you're talking articulated AFOs or even like posterior leaf spring AFOs or what have you I mean it's, it's it's I would say at least from what I've put my hands on and I put my hands on a lot of 3D printed braces and I put my hands on a lot of uh, traditionally fabricated devices um the the i've been successful with both um but to me the the feel is is very similar so like the the toe springs and the way that you heat modify um even the thinness i mean what the way what cascade does dafo does with how they pull their plastic you know, nice and thin, dorsal wings, good good flex of the toe plate. I mean, yes, you can do all that with 3D printing. Uh, that's, that's a good point because the, the Cascade is not, it's only the, the, the stock Cascade products that we tend to see here. And, okay. uh, there's, not, there's not a huge amount of custom, but then anyone that's been to the States for, say, SDR surgery uh, and had, had like their treatment over there and then they they have some rehab time before they come back are always given cascade uh, custom cascade products and you know every every single family you'll speak to will say like the afos from cascade were and daffles were or smos are are amazing and and i do think they do like you say have a lot of design elements even on their stock ones that that they do just they are just really nicely designed in terms of the plastic pool and this the heel shaping and it, it does make make life a bit easier than some of the methods that we yeah. tend to use here. The way that I equate this, and I, I don't know if you've heard me say this before, but um, I, I'm not exactly sure where I heard it, but I heard it at a, a 3D printing conference. It was, it's like 3D printing a black and white TV. Okay. You're using this amazing 2020 <laughs> technology, but you're printing a device from the 1970s or earlier. Yeah. Um, you know, the function is the same and yes, it may have some air holes in it or, 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 or what have you, but until that cost comes down to where it's like, uh, or the function just exponentially increases, yeah. um, to me, there's not, there's not that much of a benefit to do those specific devices. Yeah. It, to me, it's just, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's one in the same. Uh, cool. so that's just, that's just my no, no, it's, no. I know it's good because you've probably had more uh, more experience of hands on both than than, any, than than most people. So it's good to kind of get your opinion on it. Yeah. So uh, or I interrupted you there. You were going to say yeah, something. Yeah, well, the um as I see, so one of the exciting things about 3D printing um is I'm seeing more and more stuff come out with dynamic zones that allow for movement um specifically like 
TPU areas or TPU padding or what have you. And I, and I think that is a big deal, um, especially as kiddos um, that have a diagnosis of CP uh, get older, controlling that tone with a device that's rigid or a rigid planter stop is very, very difficult. And in fact, I would venture to say, especially as these kids are hitting puberty, especially the, the boys that are becoming young men, um, you're not going to control it. And you're gonna have navicular breakdown, metatarsal breakdown. They're, you're, getting that brace on the kiddo is gonna be super, super tough. And you know, one of the things that I've been doing probably the last probably four or five years is going to more like a dynamic gauntlet style brace. Yeah. And I've been having great success with kids with CP, older kids. And now it's starting to filter in some of the younger kids. And guess what? They're they're okay wearing the braces past 14 years old. Yeah. Because it's comfortable. It acts like a shock absorber. It still gets them into the right position. It, it's perfect. And so that's what excites me about seeing some of these companies like Invent and uh well, that's the only one that I can think of right now that, that is including some of those um, ideas and yeah. zones into their product. I think it's absolutely the right way to go. And that is where you'll start seeing a difference. And I think, yeah, I, that's such a common issue that you hear from, from parents is like, they had bad experience with AFOs, they rubbed their feet and stuff like that. And then you're thinking, it, you hear it so many times that it, those kids with CP, uh, as their tone changes, increases, they get older. Yeah, it's a, a bit of a major problem. But that combination of the the nylon and the TPU is is and the precision available through the accuracy of three D printing is 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 really nice. And you're seeing it in um, in AFOs and uh, or lower limb orthotics, and then also coming into some prosthetics as well. Um, which is the new sockets that I've seen from Invent that they they've got that combination. But you've been printing some liners, liners. Yeah, so I mean, we've been doing the flex stuff with TPU. We were early. I don't even know if alpha and beta testers for a lot of the stuff that was even you know pre market. Um, so we've been doing the flexible stuff for the prostheses side of things, integrating, clicking things in that sort of thing for a long, um, for a long time. But it's exciting to see other companies like Invent kind of hop is on board, the, right? And there's that, there's that unique design or the one of the, one of the liners that you've got there with, it's got the kind of um, square hex uh, pattern and it almost changes through to the bottom. Is is that aesthetic or has it got some functional benefit to the, the change in the design? So, I try to make my stuff look as good as possible, but I'm not, uh, I'm not a cosmetic person. Like everything that I do has, has a purpose. So like for that specific one, um, there's, there's actually seven different features when you look at that. So the first one is it's got a flexible inner that's about a millimeter, millimeter and a half thick. And then it varies in thickness from the proximal section to the bottom uh, distal end of the limb. And then what you see is also a ramping of 
uh, variable size of the hexagons from top to bottom. Yeah. Um, and that is to give the thin areas of that um, uh, flexible inner a more body. But then the hexagons also allow you to make slight adjustments without having to grind the whole liner. So all you're doing is grinding the apex of these hexagons. Okay. And then, and then the distal section actually is uh, twofold. There's, a, there's an outer shell that is uh, variable from top to bottom that contains the uh, inner lattice, which is a separate lattice that has different beams that change from um, top to bottom. And so that's where you get some of the shock absorption. And the thing that's special about this liner is that it uh, is also um, uh, the patient pulls 20 inches of mercury uh, of, of vacuum okay. with that. And, and so it's, it's nearly unheard of to get a little bit of cushion, yeah. vertical shock, under vacuum. And, and I mean, it was a total mistake uh, that it worked, but it worked. And so now we have another um, kind of data point to, to springboard off to the next um, level. But, uh, you know, to create that specific socket, you're talking about a significant, uh, not only amount of time, um, but resources for software <laughs> you know do you think, do you think once you've done it once so once you've spent all that time doing it once and you get it to i mean i think that's the one we're talking about there yeah is on near linkedin mm -hmm. again and like then it then tweaking it to perfect it is and, and repeating it is, is is simple but obviously you've put in a lot of time to, to get it there and and then afterwards it's it's it's, it's easier to to repeat and adjust slightly or individual that's right yep yeah as long as somebody's paying you for your design very, time as long as someone's paying you for all your design time <laughs> oh yeah okay <laughs> good because that was that's was that something you did with uh Lubrizol? is that who you did uh, the design for so um yeah so it's with Lubrizol tpu um but at that at that with this iteration it was um they had not helped with like helping with the design but now that i've gotten to know them over this this um this last year mm -hmm. um we're able to take some of the characteristics that they they know of and learn um and so we're actually working on kind of a gen 2 version of that which i'm very very excited about Oh, awesome. That's what's cool, like the fact that it constantly develops, like you come up with a design and then you partner with someone and they can help you push it and test it. And, and that, that's what keeps the, the market moving forward, which is, which is awesome. Um, yeah. I know we could probably, I could, I could ask you, I could probably just go through your LinkedIn and ask you loads of questions about <laughs> all the different products. But uh, I'm conscious you're probably now back outside the hotel because everybody in the car has now left you on your own. Oh, yes, they don't want to hear hear me talk about this stuff. They, they, they're like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, so what are your other um, roles? Uh, 
are roles? I mean, I don't know if that's the best way to describe it. Is it life enabled? Yeah, so um, Life Enabled is a nonprofit organization that I started with my wife, Meredith, uh, in 2006. So we go to the jungle of Guatemala and um, we really pivoted in 2011 uh, um, when Haiti had that massive earthquake and all donations went to Haiti for pieces and parts. And while that's good, that left um, no pieces and parts for any other non-government organizations or charity organizations all over the world. And so at that point in time, we decided that it was really necessary to partner with vendors um, because if we had the money, we would have an unlimited supply. Uh, and even, even if you rely on donations, there's a limited to supply and all your donations are used, abused. You know, they already have a limited life left. And so we partnered with a few vendors, um, you know, and one thing that we are adamant about is we do not use liners at all for our prosthetic devices. Uh, we feel that's not sustainable. And I know that that probably, you know, doesn't make other people happy that are doing that, but th it's just not sustainable. Um, you know, these liners are um, sometimes hundreds of dollars, but even if they're not hundreds of dollars, you can probably do you know, dollars $100, $100, for a low-end one, and and there's there these are consumable items. Um, they can they're supposed to be changed every six months, at least in the U.S. You get two every six months, and and um, and um, some organizations will give one that's used, and it's supposed to last the life of the prosthesis, and it and where we are at specifically in the jungle of Guatemala, all this stuff just literally vaporizes within just a matter of weeks. And I've seen it. Um, and, and hygiene's an issue. So no, you know, you can't wash the liners or if you're washing liners, you're using dirty water. And um, I've seen people, patients come in and their legs look like they've been through a fire um, because of the, how the bacteria has, um, attack their legs and created scarring and, and such and it's just um it's terrible and this is why i believe in compliant sockets um this is also why um you know i'm a big fan of what lubrizol does is because they have actually come alongside life enabled and said hey um we want to fill this need of having this cushion that's breathable that you can wear socks with um and 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 make a prosthesis with that and i tell you what we've been doing that since 2019 and that has been in incredible the um so you can basically solve that re need to replace those liners all the time by using the the tpu version because you can use socks but and it's more hygienic and longer lasting so and breathes yeah it's good for the skin. Yeah. So, and it's, and it's lasting. That's the crazy yeah. part about all this, right. Is, is finding something that lasts in the jungle of Guatemala is a challenge. And so, um, and so that's uh, what we're excited about with 3d printing. Now, how, with all how, often, said, how often do you yeah. get down there? How often are you down in the jungle? We, we go twice a year. And then um, we have a young man that um, has been working with us for seven years that not only takes care of any repairs or anything that comes in the, in the door 
he lives there. Um, he is actually walking distance from where our clinic is. Uh, he is now um, able to um, fabricate below the knee prostheses and uh, we're starting to train him in scanning and evaluation of devices. So then we can actually start um, either printing down there or partnering with some people. I, we don't know exactly what that's gonna look like, um, but uh, have this digital way of doing things um, just to create more access, drive costs down. I think one of the things that, because we've, we've actually, so we pivoted away towards you know, new, new components. So all the devices that we provide have all new components, um, really no donated components. We use Salesian belts and um, um, knee cuffs, um, cuff straps for the below the knee prostheses. And, um, and it's been it's been great, and we're starting to see you know these we will follow up with them, make sure everything's going well, and we're we're seeing very good longevity from these devices. And so, uh, non governmental organizations and other nonprofit organizations have started reaching out to us and um, said, okay, we kind of want to do the same thing, and so um, we'll invite them to Guatemala. Um, so we've had a couple organizations. Uh, come and take us up on that and they get to see how we run everything from how we intake patients how we keep track of patients the statistics and all that other stuff that's yeah. not my my strength but it's it's very important um, and then how do we follow up how do we fabricate the devices and all that and so um, that's pretty exciting and we've had a couple you know just recently with this terrible stuff in the Ukraine uh, we've had multiple organizations reach out to us because 3D printing is kind of top of mind as well. And um, we've developed a, a suitcase printer that uh, we've been using internally. And we're actually gonna be bringing that to production uh, very soon. Uh, my parts just came in uh, to sure. build the uh, very first production models of that. And um, it's, gonna be, it's gonna be great. So I'm, I'm really excited about how we can um, help other organizations that align with similar beliefs as ours um, as far as how to take care of patients um, and get them rolling on this you know 3d printing track essentially that's, that's such an amazing uh, piece of work to do like out of your own time and i can understand how busy you are and then you, you do all that as well so i, yeah, I don't know how you uh, how you find time to sleep or or, or do uh-huh. some other stuff but uh, it's good to see you managed to get away today for some for some baseball and then get me hassling you to jump on a podcast. <laughs> no, I appreciate you doing that. I mean, it's and I appreciate, uh, you know, I, I don't do email. I rarely do email. Um, so literally, I have probably 20 plus thousand unread emails. Um, <laughs> so if yeah, so I appreciate anybody that reaches out to me on LinkedIn or text. That's the way I communicate. And it's just whether you like it or not. That's that's what works for me. And uh, it, yeah, you got to limit some of the, the ways to contact you sometimes when you're really busy or else that uh, can kind of overwhelm you to try and keep up. Oh, it's hilarious when people look at my photo. They're like 20, 25,000 unread emails. Yeah, that would drive me crazy. I mean, it doesn't bother me one minute. 
Yeah. You just delete that email app right off there, and then you're gonna have to look at the. No, 20, I just let it keep on. <laughs> no, I just that's what they would do. But the, hey, I mean, see see what number it can me. go to before it crashes. Yeah, your phone. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's see if we can make it happen. <laughs> and and just to, uh, to to finish with, you've you've just started the podcast as well, so I want to hear a bit about it. And uh, you've done one or two episodes, or more. Yeah, so we, uh, so uh, well, we've got quite a few. So we, we, um, have we started in January, um, recording, and then we just started, um, started leaking them out, and yeah. so, um, so that'll be a weekly podcast, uh, with what's it, your what's skills. It called? Uh, it's called the orthotics and prosthetics podcast, or it might be the prosthetics and orthotics podcast. One of the two, really <laughs> uh, our, our, our logo is backwards. So our, uh, so I believe it's the prosthetics and orthotics podcast. We're getting our logo fixed. Both Yoris and I totally missed that it was backwards when we, um, uh, finished it. But anyway, the idea is, uh, getting, getting people, uh, listening to you know clinicians um you know people that fabricate stuff vendors um that sort of thing and and try to get as much data out there as possible and you know one of the things to me too is some of the historical data so like i want to get some people that um have some gray hairs in our field right mm -hmm. and and that have experience and I love it when these older clinicians um, really latch on to the digital technology because I believe that it's a way that they leave their legacy, uh, which has uh, you know previously been you know just passed down through people that they work with. But now there's going to be this digital. Um, there was a great conversation uh, that Drew put on uh, LinkedIn, and he put uh, that case study of. Uh, the woman that came into his clinic with the kind of strange neuro gate and then we were there was a big discussion from people all around the world like some ideas to what, what he could try and uh and that was really interesting then like i think like the next day he posted like oh i've tried her with like a an afo just to see what happens and see how that like shows up at the hips working and stuff like that and that was that was really cool to kind of just as a as as a as an observer, just to think, oh, that's a let's have a look at the video. I've seen all these people comment different ideas. I mean, that was really yeah. really cool. Um, and I think more stuff like that, even and that stuff to do oh. with three D printing. That's just opening up, just saying, right, guys, any ideas? Just to so that we're not always kind of on our own, um, or 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 in very small teams where you can't kind of get get a bigger picture because there's some of the stuff like. Um, is it Darren Pereira in Australia? The, the stuff that they're doing at neuromuscular orthotics is oh, it's like, amazing. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's so cool to see Next like, level. yeah, that what they're what they're kind of doing. You're thinking of oh, that, you know, you guys have a similar problem in the states to us in terms of like cost of those things is is pretty high. So there's not a lot of people that are gonna 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 go for them, but they seem to be oh, had a, a wholesale change in reimbursement so that uh, they can. Um, get get them on lots of patients which is again he's great sharing on online and just so that he can keep keeps everybody in a big gigantic worldwide loop um yeah so keep sharing one keep thing that's open. kind of kind of funny about that i i i am uh, you know typically a very positive person but i do have sarcasm that sneaks into my 
my uh, you know way of being every now and then and so like I think on that post with Drew or it might have been somebody else I was like absolutely a thumb spike is what is needed <laughs> and and I don't know that it was like super appreciated but you have to just kind of know me so I and, and with social media it's always difficult to to know that how people are going to react or respond and so um that and that's another reason why i i i podcast so was one of my few skills <laughs> i just uh i i want to uh you know if if people get snapshot over a long period of time i think they kind of get to know you and i think you know um there's different ways to take that but i um i am I, I want to make sure that I am, or I, you know, am the same person when you meet me as the same person that, you know, that you see online. Um, and I think, and I think I that's, think that's what's super good, important. good about doing podcasts and whatnot, because then we can, uh, like people can listen to us talk and that gives that bit of a better perspective of what we might then type because writing something it doesn't always give you, give your kind of your personality with it until you can kind of hear people talk and see what they're talking about. And I think that um, podcasting is, is, is such a good way to, uh, to, to get, let people get to know you. And uh, yeah, um, I thank you very much for your time. And I'm going to let you uh, get back to your day off. And, uh, but what I think we should definitely catch up again sometime uh, so we can, we can chat some more and uh, see, see what else uh, you've been up to. Okay. Yeah, that sounds great, man. And I appreciate the opportunity to be on and uh, we'll, we'll definitely stay in touch. Nice one. Cheers, Brent. Thank you.